Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Back to your seats and getting situated. Uh, We're continuing to walk through the gospel of Mark. And... um, Again, going to continue to emphasize the word gospel because it's what Mark emphasizes throughout his letter. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of the verse, all of the verses actually that we're going to be walking through up on screen. But if you want to open to the book of Mark, chapter two, which is where we're going to continue off. Uh, but I'm just going to give a brief summary uh, of. And where we've, what we've discussed so far. So in Mark chapter 1, Mark starts out, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we said when he used that word gospel, uh, it actually um, was a word that was only used by kings in that day. And when he used it, it was a way of him kind of announcing to the world that, hey, uh, I'm using this phrase gospel not to proclaim the news of an existing king, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world so that the world would know that Jesus Christ is king. Now, before we start, uh, I want to say a prayer because we're going to jump through a, how can I say this, touchy topic today. Um, we're going to jump through some, a discussion that it might make some people mad, but, it, but it's the gospel. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. And pray with me. God, we lift up this topic this morning uh, that we're going to talk about, and we realize that it's one that may make some people upset, uh, may make some people frustrated, but we pray that it allows all people to experience, acknowledge, and recognize your truth. Uh, So regardless of what people hear, we pray that they hear the word of God this morning. We pray that they hear the truths of your word not just whatever's coming out of my mouth, but the truth of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. And you guys are going to see why this might be a tricky topic. So uh, he starts off with the gospel of Jesus Christ. uh, And then he says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now this, it sounds kind of flowery to us, but like we said, the reason he did this is Mark starts out saying, I'm going to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is his way of saying, you know, if I'm saying it's the gospel of Jesus, that's like saying Jesus is king. And then he starts by pointing people back to the prophet Isaiah, and then points from Isaiah to John the Baptist. In other words, he was saying, hey, this, that when John the Baptist appeared, he was fulfilling what Isaiah wrote some 700 years ago, that there would come a person who was preaching and teaching in the name of God. And last week we said that uh, when you proclaim the gospel, right? Um, excuse me, let me skip ahead. When you proclaim the gospel, you're providing hope and peace and justice and righteousness. Because that's what the gospel message is. It's it's a message of hope. It's a message of peace. It's a message of justice. Uh, Not by man's judgment, but by God's 
uh, infallible level of morality. But here's the thing. When you talk about the gospel, although there are some people that are going to see the hope and the peace and the justice and the righteousness, there are also some people who are going to be hateful, judgmental, and narrow-minded. That's going to be their response to this message of hope and peace and justice and righteousness. And one of the reasons is because uh, when Jesus came out and proclaimed the gospel, he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that word repentance means uh, repent, have a change of mind. So it's acknowledging that, hey, some of these things that, that, that we've been doing, they're not right. They're, they're opposed to God's level of morality, but also a change in conduct. That's what repentance means. It means I looked at this thing that I used to think, hey, this is okay for me to do this. And now I look and say, hey, that thing is wrong, but I only don't think it's wrong. I say, I'm going to stop doing that thing. I'm going to turn away from it and take a whole new approach to doing something different, right? And one of the reasons why people get so upset by this is because if you tell them that they are sinning, it makes people upset. If you tell people, hey, this, this thing that you're doing, it's sinful, it's wrong in the eyes of God, they get upset because that's when people respond with, oh, well, you're holier than thou, or they respond with, well, God knows my heart, God knows I do this thing, it's okay. They respond with, well, you are not the boss of me. You don't get to tell me what to do. You don't get to legislate morality. People get upset when you talk about sin. But when you talk about repentance, they don't just get upset. They get angry. People get angry. John the Baptist wasn't put in jail because he told people, hey, you need to stop sinning. He got put in jail when he told Herod, hey, that sexual lifestyle that you're living you need to repent. And so King Herod said, well, you're going to jail. The whole time he was drawing people out into the wilderness to get baptized and saying, hey, all you guys are sinning, your way of life is sinning, that's fine. But if you tell people they need to repent, they need to stop doing this action that they're doing, they get angry. The whole you know, issue why people look down on the church, sometimes we do it wrong, we do approach it in a wrong way. People do say things in a wrong way. But if you look at whether it be abortion or sexual issues or whatever, the, all the things that we say, hey, we as a culture can't do this and call ourselves God-honoring people. We need to acknowledge this is wrong and turn and stop doing it, repent. People get angry. Now, sin makes people upset. Repentance makes people angry. But when you challenge their traditions, people will come for your life. They will, they will want to cancel you. They will, they will stop hanging out with you. They will disinvite you from the family you know, gatherings if you challenge their traditions. And this is not just me saying this. We're actually going to see this uh, throughout the next couple of verses. So again, if you want to follow along in Mark chapter 2, but I'm going to put a lot of the verses up, all of the verses up here on screen. So in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, this is what it says. Once again, Jesus went 
out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. Now, you're going to see this over and over and over throughout the Gospel of Mark. They weren't following him because he was giving away money or he was dressed flashy or he was doing any of this stuff. They were following him because he was just presenting the truths of God's word. Right? He didn't have a huge band, and, and we don't either, but a huge band and a stage and lights and all that. He was just going out and saying, thus saith the Lord. And it was in a way that people hadn't heard before. So they were, if you preach truth, people want to hear it and they're willing to hear it. And we may look around and say, well, where are all the people? There's not people in the room looking for truth here. But when we post that truth online, oh man, people just soak it up. Thousands upon thousands of people downloading the messages every week because they want to hear the truth, right? Uh, he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, uh, here's the thing we need to understand. This Levi is Matthew. This is, this is the apostle Matthew. We know him as Matthew. He wrote the gospel of Matthew. That's who Levi is. And many people say, well, uh, he was a tax collector, and they equate that to being working for the IRS today. It's not the same as working for the IRS today. That is, that is nothing to do with it other than the money he collected was taxed. It would be like if you were a loan shark who helped people pay their taxes. So it's not like you work for the IRS. You're a loan shark who says, okay, you know, uh, JT, you owe $10,000 in back taxes. I will give you the $10,000 so you can pay it, specifically to pay your taxes, but you're going to pay me back $40,000 by next month. And if you don't have the $40,000, I like your car, I know you just bought a home, all those will be signed over to me. That's, that's what they did. The tax part was the minor part. The major part was the loan sharking. Like, I'm going to give you the money, but I'm going to get a cut of what, however much I want. So that's, that's what Matthew was doing. So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, because he called Matthew and said, hey, loan sharking, not cool, you need to come follow me. And he left that lucrative position, because again, he heard the truth of God's word, followed Jesus, and he was having dinner, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And again, this is where we get it wrong, right? This is where, here, here's Jesus, right? People are coming to him to hear the truth. Levi, who, you know, was in a, a shady business, says, hey, I'm going to go follow Jesus, invites the people that he knew, because if he was in the shady business, he probably had shady friends. He's like, hey, you guys need to come hear what Jesus is saying. And the religious folks were like, why are you hanging out with them? It's the same thing today where some people of a certain denomination will say, hey, didn't you used to be Catholic? Why are you going to that church? Didn't you used to be Presbyterian? Why are you going to that church? Or if we take it to another level, hey, you're black, why are you going to that white church? Or you're white, why are you going to that church with the black pastor? Or you're Republican, why are you hanging out with all those Democrats? Or enter any of those things. You're this rich person, why are you going and hanging out with those poor people? 
And the reason why they did this is because the gospel brings out some hateful, judgmental, and narrow-minded people. It's not that the gospel uh, just brings out all people who are lovey-dovey and it's, it's rainbows and sunshine and unicorns and all that. There's a lot of hateful, narrow-minded, judgmental people who come out of the woodwork and claim to be Christ followers, but they're not. Now, the response that Jesus gave on hearing this, he said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It makes sense if Jesus has come to share the gospel so that people can repent from their sins, that he's going to go do that among people who are still sinning. Now, if you look through all of the times that Jesus healed someone or confronted someone about their sin, not one time did he demean, criticize, or judge them for it. He called it out, and he said, here's the correct path, the way that you can correct that which is what we're supposed to do. But what ends up happening is the hateful, judgmental people in the church will come out and will criticize and will judge and will demean people for it and will beat them down instead of lifting them up. And that's not what Jesus did, right? So then uh, after this, they started, and this happens a lot. And this is, this is again, this is where it's going to get a little... A little what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the next couple of verses, they question Jesus about fasting and the Sabbath. Because this is where it's going to get, when you start talking about people's traditions, this is where they, again, they, they, they'll get, if you talk about sin, they'll get upset. If you tell them to repent, They'll get angry, but if you start challenging their traditions, they will want to cancel you. And so uh, he starts talking about um, the Sabbath, or excuse me, fasting, right? And Jesus, they questioned him about fasting, and he answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them, but the time's going to come when they will. And this is a long way of saying what fasting is, is, it's a, a practice, a spiritual practice, where someone says, you know what, I'm going to forego food or something that my body needs so that I can focus on drawing closer to God, right? They questioned and said, hey, how come your disciples aren't fasting? What Jesus explains here, basically in their language, is why would they fast, forego food, to draw closer to God when they're spending every day with God. They're walking with God. They're talking with God. There's going to be a time, he says, where the bridegroom's not going to be there. When Jesus was going to be taken away, he will no longer be on earth physically in the flesh. And then, yeah, they will fast. But right now, they don't need to fast. They just need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying, Right? And then they question him about, and this is a big one, still a big one today, the Sabbath. Jesus was walking through grain fields, and he and the apostles started picking some grain. And they said, hey, why are you doing what's not right on the Sabbath? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, again, 
If you don't know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath was something that God instituted so that mankind would take a day and spend it with God. Now, again, they're walking through the grain fields with Jesus, picking grain with God. So they weren't violating the Sabbath. They weren't not spending time with God. They were spending time in the presence of God. It wasn't that they were breaking the law. It's that they were violating their traditions because they had created traditions that said, hey, you can't work, you can't go farm, you can't go do this on the Sabbath. But that tradition wasn't being broken because, again, the whole purpose of the Sabbath, spend the day with God. If you're walking with God, you're spending the day with God. Now, this is where it gets even worse, right? Because it says another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and it was a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So think about this. There's a man with a shriveled hand, right? Maybe he can't write. Uh, uh, he can't, you know, play baseball, can't, you know, do whatever something you need two hands to do, can't clap on beat, whatever it is. He's in the room. It's the Sabbath, and Jesus wants to heal him, and there's some mean-spirited, judgmental, hateful, narrow-minded folks who are against that. Now, uh, here's the thing. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, the people in the room, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Now, here's the thing. There was a Jewish tradition that said not doing good when you have the opportunity to do so, is considered a great evil. So Jesus presented them with their tradition. Because he's like, it's the Sabbath. Here's a guy with a shriveled hand. I have the authority and the power to heal him. What should we do? Is it good to do? They even, it even not just said not doing good when you have the opportunity to do so. It went so far as to say that if you have the opportunity to save a life and you don't do that, you could be considered of the sin of murder. Because you have, if I walk by and I see that, that Joe is choking and I know the Heimlich maneuver, I just got classified in the Heimlich maneuver. I could call 911 while doing the Heimlich maneuver, but I just stand there and don't do anything and Joe dies. The courts may not consider me guilty, but according to that Jewish tradition, I did a great evil and I was considered guilty of the sin of murder. This wasn't the law that God handed down. This was the tradition that they came up with. So Jesus threw that tradition back at them and said, here's a guy whose hand has shriveled, which is better, to do good or to save a life, even on the Sabbath? And this is how it turned out, because sin makes people upset, repentance makes people angry, and I am telling you, if you challenge the traditions of people, they will come for your life. I have had people, in, in just in talking about the Sabbath, like I'll post videos that say, you know, hey, join the Sunday celebration. 
And it would be like a one-minute clip about, you know, here's the gospel, or here's this, or here's that, or here's whatever. And there will be people who will come for my life. You're violating the law because you're doing this on the Sabbath. You're doing that on the Sabbath. You should have did that on Saturday. It would have been okay. But right now you're sinning against God and leading people to hell. How is sharing the gospel on any day of the week leading people to hell? If you violate people's traditions, they will come for your life. And they came for Jesus' life because he looked around at them in anger, verse 5 says, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They didn't plot to kill him because he, he, he confronted them about sin. They didn't plot to kill him because he said, hey, you need to repent and turn from your sins. They plotted to kill him because he challenged their traditions and showed them that their traditions did not mean a whole lot. Now, one of the biggest traditions, right, uh, that people have difficulty with is when it starts to mess with your family traditions, the understanding of how you, how you deal with your family. Again, gospel brings out hateful, judgmented, and narrow-minded people, even within our own families. Even sometimes the people who we love, but if you start preaching and teaching and walking in the word of God, and some of the people in your family are not okay with that, they can become hateful, they can become judgmental, they can become narrow-minded. Now, uh, here's what happened with Jesus. Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. That phrase, he is out of his mind, is similar to us saying, hey, I need to have my cousin, my wife, my husband, my brother, my sister, whoever, I need to have them committed because they're doing things that I believe are not sane and they could possibly be a harm to themselves and others. That's the way his family looked at him. They didn't look at him that way because of he was telling people you know, about sin. They didn't look at him that way because he was telling people they needed to repent. They looked at him that way because when he challenged the traditions of the church, they're like, you must not be in your right mind if you're going to stand up and challenge the traditions of the church in that day to the point where people are trying to kill you. If you know you're doing something that people are trying to kill you, they say, oh, well, you, you must not be in your right mind. But again, people will be upset. The gospel doesn't call us, though, to abandon, reject, or mistreat our family members, right? So I, I've heard some people take that verse out of context and say, well, this is, this is Jesus abandoning his family. This is Jesus leaving his family. This is Jesus mistreating his family, and the church is a cult, and that's why I won't follow it. That is not what happened at all. 
That's not the truth, and that's not what the gospel calls us to do. In fact, it calls us to include others in our family. It calls us to expand our family. It calls us to say, yes, you know, I have my, my son, my, my uh, grandson, my daughter, my other son, my wife. They're my family. But then it calls me to say, hey, Larry and Sharon, they're part of my family. JT and Erica, they're part of my family. Joe and his family, they're part of my family because that's what the gospel does, and that's what Jesus did. He didn't abandon his family. His mothers and brothers arrived, and they stood outside, and they sent someone in to call him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said, hey, your mothers and brothers are outside looking for you. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? He looked at those seated around and said, here are my mothers and brothers. And it wasn't that he was abandoning his family, which becomes clear if you know the whole story because then later he makes sure that when he's being persecuted and, and, and killed for preaching the gospel, he makes sure that his mother is taken care of. But he was just saying that, hey, they're my family, but you guys are my family too. Just as much love and respect as I have for them, I need to have that love and respect for you. And even though James was one of the people who said, his brother James, you're out of your mind, later Jesus shows up to him, and James becomes one of the, the pillars of the New Testament church, taking the message of hope and peace and justice and righteousness to everyone who would hear. And here's, again, I have to reiterate, the gospel does bring out some hateful, judgmental, narrow-minded people, right? And in, in, in my term, I call them fake church gangsters, people who try to hijack the message of the church, the message of hope and redemption and peace, and, and, and they just put their own hateful, judgmental, narrow-minded stuff on it, and that's why a lot of people end up looking at Christians that way. Because these are the people who, who, instead of saying, hey, you're dealing with this sinful issue, how can I help you? We love you. These are the people that say, you're dealing with this sinful issue, but I'm not going to help you because your dress is too short, or because you're wearing a hat in church, or because you don't preach wearing a tie, or some other reason to look at you and condemn you instead of reach out to you and help you. And there are so many people who claim to be a part of the body of Christ, but this is what they are instead. And it's because, I'm telling you, there have been pastors who have lost their jobs, not because they showed up in a new church and they preached about sin and repentance, but because they challenged the traditions that were being done and said, hey, you guys are hanging on to that, but they don't line up with the word of God. And for anyone who thinks this is the same thing that Jesus did, right? When they, and we're going to get there in Mark chapter 7. Jesus is again challenging their traditions. And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. It's one of the major problems of the church. 
Instead of clinging to this and letting this guide us and how we help people and how we equip people and how we teach people, we put it aside and hang on to traditions that hurt people and demean people and judge people and kind of push them out if they don't meet these traditional things that we have set up that say this is what's acceptable today. That's not the gospel. I was going to ask us to uh, stand and sing, but instead I'm going to ask us to stand. And I want to pray because we all have people that we know in our circles of influences that are from different denominations, that are from different financial classes, that are from different aspects of life. And I'm going to put this back up on screen because I think it's important because we all know people that call themselves Christian, but they are some of the most hateful, judgmental, and narrow-minded people around. They don't share the love of Christ. They don't show the love of Christ. And if they invited us to be a part of it, we would want nothing to do with it. And that's not the gospel, but that's what most people see when they think of the church. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we lift up to you all of those people who claim to be people who are filled with your spirit and people who are supposed to be sharing the gospel, but instead they are hateful, they are judgmental, they are narrow-minded, and Lord, we believe it's likely because they have been hurt. And we pray that they would do what we all want to do, which is to seek your word. Seek your truth and be recipients of your love. We pray that they, us as well, not that we are holier than now, that us as well, that we would all be willing to, as your word says, repent and turn from those things that are opposed to you and turn towards and seek those things that represent you. That we would be seekers of your word that we would treat people with the love of Christ. That we would, as your word says, not put people down, but let nothing come out of our mouths except for that which is good to build people up. God, we pray that as your word says that we would be willing to share. Here's why we have this hope in Jesus Christ, but we also pray that we would be willing to do it respectfully. We pray that we as your people would be partakers of your grace and the holy priesthood that you have called us to be, sharers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.